0: According to the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, between 14 to 23% of women will struggle with some symptoms of depression during their pregnancy. Unfortunately, this is a condition that often goes unrecognized and untreated, in part because of concerns about the safety of treating women during pregnancy. You are listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today, we are joined by Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a board-certified physician in addiction medicine and psychiatry. She's also campaign psychiatrist for Let's Get Mentally Fit, co-founder of Physicians for Criminal Justice Reform, and the CMO of ANCA Behavioral Health Incorporated. Today, we will be discussing the current recommendations for depression screening in the pregnant patient. Dr. Harrison, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's talk about depression. How common is it in the peripartum period?
1: Um, Thank you for wording that question in the peripartum period because what we know um, is that postpartum depression gets most of the publicity when we talk about depression in women who have had babies, Um, but a significant portion of women develop their depressive and or anxiety symptoms while still pregnant. So peripartum is most certainly uh, the appropriate word. Our estimates of peripartum depression are likely very low, Um, but when we look into the literature for those patients who have actually reported symptoms and or been diagnosed, uh, a low estimate is about 15% of pregnancies associated with peripartum depressive symptoms. This equates to about 950,000 women per year. Um, I want to take this chance. I know that we'll spend the majority of this interview talking about depression in pregnant women. But I also wanted to note that the partners of pregnant women, men included, can also experience peripartum depressive disorder.
0: Oh, okay. That's interesting. Do you want to expand on that a little bit and tell us about the men for a second?
1: Sure. So the the rates of uh, peripartum depression in men are even less known than in women, because as you can imagine, the reporting um, is actually quite low. But what we know is that through pheromones, um, men who are close to Women who are pregnant are also having hormonal changes, but also the stressors in our lives that contribute to kind of increased stress hormones in the body that then can result in depressive and anxiety symptoms are shared among uh, both partners who are having the baby. And so if there's any sort of chronic stressor in the life, relationship stressor, job stressor, housing stressor, those translate into uh, chemical and physiological changes in the body that put both parents at risk for peripartum depression.
0: So as we've started to recognize the magnitude of this problem of peripartum and postpartum depression, there are actually new guidelines and recommendations for screening.
1: Can we talk about those? Absolutely. So the US Preventive Services Task Force, um, the USPSTS, recently let recommendations for screening for depression in adults, so the entire document was not dedicated to pregnant women, but they specifically reviewed their recommendations for depression in pregnant and postpartum women, and this is the first time that they've actually done this for us. A huge change that they made, so the last last time that they let recommendations on this topic, um, screening for depression in adults, was in 2009. Like I said, that did not specifically address um, depression in pregnant and postpartum women, but it also recommended selective screening. So in 2009, they recommended selective screening for patients with risk factors. And at that time, they didn't even identify pregnancy or postpartum period as a risk factor. In contrast with this new screening recommendation that has been let, the recommendation is for universal screening, for adults and they specifically recommend screening for depression in pregnant women and postpartum women no less than once during pregnancy and in the postpartum period.
0: So I think if we're being honest with ourselves, most people who provide prenatal care will tell you that those appointments are 10 to 15 minutes. They're required to address a lot of issues, patient concerns, family concerns. How do we find time to screen given how short those appointment times are?
1: It's an absolutely common and justified sentiment. Um, so the appointments are very short, and this really comes down to um, designing protocols and workflows that can be efficient. And so we have depression screens that can be administered as questionnaire format, and we can put to use that time that women spend in our waiting rooms um, before they actually come back to the office. If your office can choose one screening tool and have all of your pregnant women fill that out during their wait in the waiting room and then have one of your support staff tally it up and have the final score for you uh, waiting on your chart when you're ready to see that person, then you already have the information in front of you. If their screen is completely normal, then you've reduced it to a one-sentence education. You know At least 15 to 20 percent of women develop depressive symptoms during or after pregnancy. If that happens, please let me know. We can help. And that's all the intervention you had to make. If you see a positive screener there, then that's when you want to have already done the work to have your referral system in place. And like I frequently recommend, the first referral does not always have to be to a fellow physician, a psychiatrist, because we can be hard to find. Um, it is perfectly appropriate, if there are not urgent safety concerns, for you to have a referral system that includes clinicians, clinical social workers, marriage family therapists, licensed professional counselors, um, because they are absolutely an appropriate first-line referral for a pregnant woman or a postpartum woman in whom you identify depressive symptoms.
0: Are there specific tools available for screening For the pregnant population, are we using the same tools that we do for the general population?
1: So in the pregnant population, we're using the same tool. The most commonly used will be the PHQ-9 or Patient Health Questionnaire 9. This is free in the public domain. You can Google it. A PDF will come up right there. You can build it into your electronic medical record if you're electronic. Um, It has the same psychometric properties, so same sensitivity and specificity, which are about 70 and 90% for depression in pregnant women. There is a specific scale for use in the postnatal period. Um, You can feel free, though, in your practice. The PHQ-9 is perfectly fine through the entire peripartum period. So while the woman is pregnant and after delivery, you can use the PHQ-9. There is a specific depressive scale, though, for the postnatal period, which is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, or the EPDS. This is also free and in the public domain. You can also Google it, and a PDF will come up for you. Um, It's a 10-item scale that can be given in questionnaire format, so the woman can complete this in your waiting room while she's waiting to be called back. And 10 is the magic number. It's a 10-question scale, a score of 10 or more, so the maximum score is 30, but a score of 10 or more is a red flag for depression. Um, and And question item number 10 on there is the suicide question. And so you will look specifically for a score of 10, and you will look specifically at question number 10 to see if there are any thoughts of harm to self or harm to baby. That's what's different about the PHQ-9, it doesn't account for thoughts of harm to the baby. Um, so that's why the EPDS is specifically a postnatal score. And then those two will guide you on making a referral to your network.
0: If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I'm your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a board-certified physician in addiction medicine and psychiatry. Today, we're speaking about the current recommendations for depression screening in the pregnant patient. So we know we need to screen because these patients are at risk, and we know what the tools are, but when do we screen, and is there ever a time when we need to re-screen?
1: So the USPSTF guidelines that just came out do not specifically recommend a screening interval, um, but they say consider those who have never been screened before, those with new presenting risk factors, or those who've had a change in clinical condition. And so the specific guidance that I, Dr. Harrison, will give comes from a combination of this Preventive Services Task Force, but also the American Association of Family Practitioners and ACOG. Um, I will put these together to say every new patient who is pregnant should absolutely be screened for depression. If you're just using it as a questionnaire, I think it is absolutely appropriate to make that part of the monthly screening that your patients get when they come into the obstetrician's office for their routine prenatal care. If that's too much burden on the office, then I would say you want to screen no less than once each trimester. So at the first visit, during the second trimester, during the third trimester, and at the first postnatal checkup. The American Academy of uh, Family Physicians actually recommend that at the infant visits, one month, two months, and four months, the family practitioner screens the mother for postpartum depression.
0: So what do we do once we identify a screen that's positive?
1: Thank you for asking this question. So the very first consideration is safety concern. Uh, the first answer you need to know, are there any suicidal thoughts present or not? Unlike adults where there may be suicidal thoughts present and we have you walk down, like is there a plan, is there intent, for women who are pregnant or in the postpartum period, I do not even want you to walk down that tree. If you see on the PHQ-9 or on the EPDS that there is any sort of suicidal ideation present at all, I recommend send that person to the emergency room because the stakes are too high. The mother's health is at risk. The infant's health is also at risk, whether she's currently pregnant or has already given birth. The same is true if there's any sign of psychosis or thoughts of harm to the baby. So suicidal thoughts, thoughts of harm to the baby, psychosis immediately to the emergency room. If none of those is present, and hopefully none of those is present, then if your screener and the phq 9 and the EPDS both have listed at the bottom kind of mild, moderate, and severe ranges, if the depression is mild to moderate, then you can use your network to make, um, you know, a first available appointment with mental health condition. Very appropriate. If it's severe depression, if you can get a first available appointment with a psychiatrist, that's fantastic. If you can't, first available appointment with a mental health clinician is also appropriate.
0: I think we know the reality is that whenever there's a pregnant patient, there is always hesitancy to begin any kind of pharmacologic therapy. What treatments are available for depression in the peripartum period versus the postpartum period?
1: So that hesitancy is absolutely 100% justified because every antidepressant medication that we have, crosses the placenta and also is excreted in breast milk. Um, So we always have to be considering the relative risk of untreated depression to the risk of the depression treatment that we're offering. Like in all adults, the first line treatment for mild to moderate depression in pregnant women and postpartum women is cognitive behavioral therapy. So there is little to no risk associated with cognitive behavioral therapy because it's not a medication. In the event that depression is severe or cognitive behavioral therapy is ineffective or we have those other safety considerations that I mentioned, suicidal thoughts about the harm to the baby or psychosis, then we absolutely have to introduce medications because at this point, the untreated illness confers greater risk to mother and baby than does um, the treatment that we have to offer, which are first-line SSRIs. And so I just want to emphasize what I just said. Untreated depression carries risk factors, including higher risk for early delivery, higher risk for lower birth rate, higher risk for post-birth complications, and then, of course, the most severest is suicide attempts and actually completed death, which is death for the mother and the baby. And so when we consider those risks against our antidepressants, which are really very safe, Um, And we use them in the standard doses. Sometimes in the third trimester we have to accommodate increases in volume of distribution and increase the doses. But in general, the SSRIs are very safe. Significant complications are very rare. This is true both while pregnant and in the postpartum period. That said, if at all possible, when it comes to bear that we want to consider medication in a pregnant woman, I would recommend consulting a psychiatrist, because pregnancy is a litigious time, right? And so you want to make sure that you have supported yourself in your documentation and wrapped a supportive team around yourself, both to keep your patient safe, but also to keep your practice safe.
0: Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Inzinger Harrison, for joining us today.
1: I always enjoy being on with you, Dr. Pasanta Henry.
0: Thank you. And to download this podcast and others in our series, please visit ReachMD.com. We welcome you to share, like, and comment on this podcast. I am your host, Dr. Patrice Basanta-Henry, and you've been listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Thank you for listening.